0: We put in a lot of work to get to this point and also to have something that is almost true passive income is kind of mind-blowing. You're listening to Take It Personally, a podcast about the personal side of business and the art of standing out. I did a podcast episode a couple of months ago now talking about Whitespace, which is the studio space that I own. And I asked at the end of that episode, you know, if you have any questions or if you want me to talk more about this, let me know. Slide into my DM, send me an email. And I was so pleasantly surprised with the response to that. You guys want to hear more about Whitespace. And this is a really fun topic for me to talk about because it's been a really fun business to build. And also very different from like the, the very personal brand that I have. Whitespace is a brick and mortar space. It is certainly, you know, a part of my brand, but I would say it's not hugely impacted by my brand. Like there are a lot of people who rent Whitespace who don't know who I am. And there are people who know me who don't know Whitespace. So they are separate from each other. And that has been really interesting to navigate. So I'm excited to talk more about this today. Um, And just answer some of the frequently asked questions that came up when it comes to Whitespace Studio. So, the first question that got asked was in the realm of investment like, how much did we initially invest? When I say we, Whitespace, I own with my husband, Jeff. And so, we are partners in the space it has not necessarily always been like that. Like he's always kind of been in the background. And then in the last year or two, he's taken a more active role. Um, and I can talk more about that. It's been awesome. (laughs) It's been so great to have someone else to kind of bounce ideas off of and rely on. It's been wonderful. So when I say we, that's what I'm talking about. Um, so we initially took out a $10,000 line of credit. And then I also had, I think, about $20,000 in a savings account, which is ridiculous. You don't need $20,000 in a savings account. Like, go invest that, please. But I didn't know what I was doing. And I really just had that saved from years before when I was working two jobs. I should have been investing it, but I had it in a savings account. And so it was just kind of a cushion. We didn't really want to use it because we wanted white space to be separate from Maddie Pashang Photography. But it made me feel better knowing that like if no one rents this space and it, if it is just purely my studio space, I can pay for it for like the next year and we'll be okay. So that made me feel better, but it's, it's really not necessary. The big thing to pay attention to is that $10,000 line of credit. Um, the reason we took that out is because we knew that we would have some changes to make. We negotiated a lot of that into the contract. So let me see. When we got the space, we lease it. So we do not own the building. When I talk about owning the business, we own the business. We own that, but we do not own the building or the space. And when we started leasing it or found it, the walls were Pepto-Bismol pink. The ceilings were black. Our ceilings are really tall. They were all painted black. Um, There was also like a soffit overhang type thing that was black. The floors were terrible. I think some of them were like really old carpet and some of them were tile. They were in rough shape. <laughs> a lot of it was in rough shape. The same person had been renting it for a long time and it just really hadn't been kept up. So we knew that we would have some things that we had to do, but we did try to negotiate a lot of those into the terms of our lease. So we were able to get it all painted as part of our lease terms, which was a game changer because like they needed you know, special equipment to come in and just spray the whole thing. And obviously we could have hired someone to do that, but it was really fantastic that they did that for us. Um, and I'm trying to think, oh, they also removed the, the soffit, like the overhang thing. It's hard to describe, but it was essentially just like a lowered ceiling. And we wanted the ceilings to be exposed because there's cool beams and rafters. And uh, it's a very cool space when you can kind of see the ceiling. So we wanted that taken out. Those were the two big things that they did. And so they did not, they um, would not do the floors for us. So we knew that we would have to pay to put new floors down. Um, I think we added, oh, because we did floors, we did the trim. Um, What else? And then otherwise it was just general, like kind of making the space a little bit more usable. The back rooms specifically were in pretty rough shape. And so we worked on those as well. So we took out that $10,000 line of credit to help with that. We didn't end up using all of it. I wish I would have taken better notes um, on what things cost us. But I think the flooring and trim and inclu- you know, having like a dumpster out back that we rented that we could put stuff in, I think it ended up being under $5,000. I remember we actually returned some flooring because we had too much. And it was a pretty substantial amount that they were able to give back to us. We did a lot of the work ourselves. One of the renters who was going to be renting from me, which I'll talk about in a minute, her dad and brother are extraordinarily handy. They have their own business. So they helped a ton, specifically in the back room for her. And then Jeff, my husband, he laid all of the flooring with his brother, I believe. So a lot of labor costs we were able to save on, which was huge. So yeah, $10,000 line of credit. I still have, I think now it's like a $20,000 line of credit or something. I don't know. They are always increasing it, (laughs) Um, which is dangerous. Um, But I still have that. And it has been really fantastic as a business owner to have that line of credit just in case. So um, that was something I didn't even really know what that was when we first started doing the studio four years ago, five years ago. And I'm really glad that we have it now. So that was the biggest thing. We also then had about a thousand dollars, I think, that we put aside for furniture. A few pieces of furniture we already had. We made a pretty big IKEA run to get a few couches and shelves and storage units. We had some chairs. We bought a mini fridge. I think we got a secondhand Keurig. So we had some stuff and we wanted to purchase other things. And then obviously, Over the years, we've added and taken out furniture pieces, but we did have an initial furniture budget um, Ikea run that covered especially a lot of like the storage pieces. $1,000 seems really low, but I just went back to look at the spreadsheet that I had when I was pulling all of this together, and I think that that was accurate. The couch was the most expensive thing that we bought. That was $600. We only got one couch at first. We got like a wall mounting kit for the paper rolls. We got a couple of paper rolls. We did end up getting security cameras and a lock system for the door later on. So that was not in this initial budget. So just initial furniture was around $1,000. I'm sure now it would probably be twice that because again, this was five years ago, but I was really happy with that at the time. Next question is, was it difficult to find the space and what are some things that should be considered if you're looking to start a space like this in your town? It was a bit challenging to find the space. I think more, we had a good realtor, but I think it was difficult for him to understand what I wanted. And there weren't a ton of spaces at that time that I could point to and be like, this is what I want. There was specifically one called Creative Space Studios in California. It's run by my friend, Jenea. And honestly, I ended up just messaging her on Instagram and connecting with her there. And I was able to ask questions and kind of get some advice. And that was such a game changer, like so nice to be able to have conversations with her um, because there weren't a lot of studios that I could find at the time that were a similar model to what we wanted to do. So that that was really, really helpful. But yeah, it was challenging because I was trying to explain what I wanted, but I wasn't even really sure what I wanted. And I don't think our realtor had ever like seen anything like this before. So the biggest thing that we were looking for were big windows and it wasn't even facing a particular direction. Like now, if I were to find a space, I would want, if at all possible, north facing windows. Our windows face west. Which means that they get really good light more so in the afternoon. The morning is fine. I shoot often in there in the morning. But if I can avoid it and if I can do afternoon, I just prefer that light. Um, so I would do things differently now. But at the time, I I didn't know what I didn't know. So that was our biggest thing. We just wanted really big windows, like a wall of windows. Um, and as much floor-to-ceiling windows as we could get. Otherwise, I didn't have a lot of specifications that I was looking for. I knew that what we could afford would probably be around a thousand square feet. I had come from a studio space that had like an entryway kind of client room and then a shooting space. And then actually this particular studio had then another shooting space. And I really liked that. And so our current space has uh, an entrance space it actually does have three rooms. It has like a big storage room and an entrance space and the shooting space. And so I did really like the idea of that. I didn't know if we would be able to find it, but when we did, it was I was I was very happy um because it's nice to have just like the separate spaces. Other than that though, not not a lot. There are many things now as we look forward to like what comes next. There are many things that I would prefer to have that we don't have now but for the most part our space now is really really wonderful like we really lucked out one of the more challenging things was just getting people to kind of buy into the idea like with both my husband and the realtor they were kind of like really like are you sure this is it because again it had pepto-bismol pink walls and a black ceiling and it didn't look that bright because it wasn't white at that point and there was really crappy flooring and the back rooms were terrible and there was like a desk in the middle of everything because it was a retail space. So I really had to have that, you know, visionary of being able to picture what it could look like. And I feel like Jeff pretty quickly was able to visualize it too. I don't think that our realtor was until it was like up and running and he was like, oh, this is really cool. Like you really did something here. Um, so it is funny now looking for a space to potentially move to or like what comes next. His buy-in is like so much greater because he sees now what we were what we were able to do. But I think as the person who is looking for the space, you really have to hold on to that. Like you have to know uh, what you're looking for and just kind of be that visionary because it's going to be harder for other people to picture it. The next question is, what are the expenses to keep the space running? So we consider our all-in expenses every month to be right around $2,000. That includes our rent. It includes cleaning. It includes internet and then random supplies, whether we make a Costco run for cleaning supplies or we stock the fridge or whatever. It's usually around $2,000 a month. So then the next question is, how do you make sure that you're bringing in enough money to cover the studio overhead? This was the biggest concern, and this is also something that is very top of mind as we look toward the next space because I sell hours for $75. So there's just kind of a limit as to what my expenses can be where it still makes sense. I like operating businesses that have you know as high of a profit margin as I can have. And so if I was paying $4,000 in rent every month or in overhead expenses every month, it would just be so much more difficult to have the kind of profit that I want. So this is something that we're thinking about constantly, and I I wish it wasn't as much of a thing, but it is. Um, So when I first opened the space, I actually had two people that came on as full-time renters, Our business model looked a lot different then because we didn't really know what kind of business model we wanted to pursue. We were just going to rent it by the hour essentially and kind of see what happened. But I knew that it would be nice to have that cushion. So I had reached – I can't remember how this worked. I think I reached out to a friend of mine who I saw like her business seemed to be really growing and I knew that by the nature of her photography business, she would need – like she wasn't shooting outside. So she would need an indoor space. And I, I think I just felt like I needed to send her a message. And so I did. We weren't super close at that point, but ran in similar circles, um, had mutual friends, like certainly knew each other. I, I've always really liked her. And so I just reached out to her and said like, hey, I don't know if this is on your radar, but I'm opening a studio space and would have room for one other full-time renter if you're at all interested. And she was actually in the process of signing another lease, but like she wasn't 100% sold on it and the person was not getting back to her and it was just kind of a cluster. And she was like, this feels like divine timing. I'm in, like, what do you need to know? And so she came on as a full-time renter. And then I also had a friend who did permanent makeup and we converted one of the back rooms into a studio space for her. So I had those two people that were not covering all of my rent, but covering a lot of it. And so that was a huge help. And one of the biggest pieces of advice I have if you're looking at opening a space, even if you want to eventually do – I mean, if you want to eventually do memberships like what I do now, um, launching those memberships or launching some sort of um, membership, I guess, where people can – kind of almost like enroll early with you, even if it's a really good deal, whatever that looks like, because it was such a load off to know that, you know, if nobody else booked, I had a really good portion of my rent covered. So I had those two women with me for, I think, around two years. And then after, yeah, I think it was around the two year mark My friend in the back moved. And so that actually worked really well because at that point we had picked up pretty significantly. Um, We were just like kind of steadily increasing business. So that back room became a storage room. And then shortly after, the other photographer uh, opened up her own studio space. And again, that worked really well um, because we were kind of debating at that point shifting to a membership model. So Um, both of the people that we had, I cannot tell you how thankful I am that we had them when we had them because I think they allowed me to be able to make better decisions about the business because I wasn't stressed about paying my rent, which I knew that I could pay by myself, but I certainly did not want to. And it would have, it would have been much different. So that was fantastic. Once those people kind of transitioned out, um, and even while they were still at White Space, we were kind of experimenting with different business models so we had the two renters and then we also had hourly renters so you would just rent by the hour as needed we had built up our renters so we had more people who were renting you know more frequently we also experimented with punch cards so you could make a one time purchase i think it was around $500 that would get you i think 10 hours so it was a really good deal. They were getting hours for like $50, $55 an hour as opposed to 75 And we also would have things throughout the year like mini sessions. So we would do Christmas mini sessions or spring mini sessions, and those would help increase our revenue for that period of time. The issue with all of these things is that it was really unpredictable. So one month we might have really fantastic month, and then the next month it could be really bad. Or what we found pretty quickly, we had major seasonality. Right in the summertime, we were making just enough to pay the rent, maybe not even. And then in the winter, it would be like so busy, and there were people in there every day, and the weekends were booked three weeks in advance. And there was like, (laughs) there was no consistency. We couldn't predict anything. And so Jeff really started to push me on the idea of memberships, and I was really nervous about that. I just felt like it was going to be a tough sell. And long story short, that's the business model that we've transitioned to now, it is awesome. It is challenging to sell memberships, which kind of blows my mind because I really do think that they are such a fantastic deal. And if you'll allow me to get on my soapbox for a minute, (laughs) I always feel like memberships are such a great stepping stone for the photographer who wants to eventually have their own space or maybe have a space with like them and one other person it is pretty jarring to go from paying nothing for rent every month to paying like $1,000 or $2,000 or whatever. And so that stepping stone of paying a membership fee of what $250, $350 for a certain amount of hours at a studio, it puts you in the habit of paying what you would pay for rent. It also gives you a space to meet clients. It gives you a place to put on your Google address that's not your home, which always felt weird to me. It's a space to go if the weather sucks and you need to be inside. It's a space to go for content creation if you want to get out of your house. Like there are so many benefits. So it is a little crazy to me that it's difficult to sell. But that said, we have about six renters right now. They're phenomenal. I absolutely love them. Most of them are photographers. One of them is actually a boutique. So that has been awesome. They are our biggest client. They use the space most often. They're on our biggest membership level. They will likely be transitioning out because they're building their own space in the next couple of months. And so I'm anxious to see what it looks like to fill that spot. And if we can find another boutique or another client like that, it's just worked really well to work with them because they typically shoot during the day, during the week, when we're not that busy anyway. Um, So TBD on what it looks like once they are out, but they've been phenomenal clients and honestly all of our members have just been great. So, I was very nervous <laughs> to move to the membership model, but it's been awesome. And the fact that we know every month we'll have at least this amount of money come in through memberships is a game changer. So my goal over the next, you know, year beyond is just to continue growing memberships so our rent continues to be covered And we're not worried about that, especially in the summer months. One of the biggest mistakes I see brand photographers make is sending over galleries that are too heavily focused on photos of their client. You heard me. You're probably delivering galleries that have too many photos of your client looking at the camera and smiling. A personal brand photography session is so much more than a gallery of headshots. A good brand session should leave your client with a library of images thoughtfully curated to grow their business. These aren't just pretty photos. They're pretty with a purpose. Brand sessions aren't just a million photos of your client's face as beautiful as they may be. Galleries should be diverse and showcase not just the person behind the brand, but all the things that make up their business. This is how you create brand sessions that can really be put to work and not just collect dust in the cloud when they change their hairstyle. If you want clients who use their images and sing your praises from the roof, download my ultimate personal brand session shot list. This list covers the 10 images you should be getting at every session, plus a bonus concept that will have your clients so thrilled they have to tell all their friends, which means more business referred your way. You can grab the checklist at maddiepashang.com slash shot list. That's maddiepashang.com slash the next question is how long did it take to break even and profit? So our tax returns are a little goofy because we actually started Whitespace as like a DBA of Maddie Pashang Photography, which in retrospect, I don't know why we did that. And so it's just been in the last two years, year and a half, that it's been its own LLC, which makes for things. I'm glad that I'm not doing the accounting on that. My bad, guys. <laughs> so. Our tax returns, I they're a little funky, but I keep my own like spreadsheets and numbers and everything. And our first year, we would have technically been in the black by like what we made versus what we paid in rent, if you didn't consider the money that we took out at the beginning to open the space. So we were just a little bit in the red, um, maybe like five or ten thousand dollars. But month to month, we at the end of the year, like we were pretty. Pretty even, um, broke even essentially. So that was like kind of mind blowing and amazing, especially because that was 2020 (laughs) pandemic year. We literally opened in February of 2020. So we had about a month where things were (laughs) normal before it got crazy. So the fact that it was a pandemic, it was a new business, it was a business we'd never done before. I'm very thankful that we essentially broke even the first year. And then the next year we began to like profit uh, more clearly. And it's honestly just grown ever since. Every year we make a little bit more money. Um, It's not like we're making millions of dollars from this endeavor. And I'm very curious what the ceiling looks like because again, we sell ours for $75. So curious what like the future of the business looks like, but after the first year or so, which the first year was really challenging from an emotional perspective because you essentially, I talked about this a little bit in the last episode, you're essentially teaching people how to use the space. You're learning how to rent the space. You're learning all of your systems. You're putting them in place. You've got people who don't really respect the space as if it's their own because it's not their own. Like It's just complicated and challenging. But after that first year, and especially now, um, just about four years in, it pretty much runs itself. Now, that's not to say that we don't notice a change when I'm doing more heavy marketing or sending more emails or you know finding new furniture. Certainly we do. But I don't really have to do much of anything four years in for us to make a profit. And that is awesome. And so I just hope that we kind of continue trending in that direction. We've got some really cool goals and hopes and dreams for what the future of the space looks like that will hopefully make that, you know, harder at first, but then easier. Um, so we'll see what happens. But it is really cool. Like, I, I say that tentatively because we we put in a lot of work to get to this point and also to have something that is almost true passive income is kind of mind-blowing. I do sometimes wonder, this is kind of vulnerable, whatever, I do sometimes wonder if it's a good idea to have my attention pulled in so many different areas. Like I feel like I could, you know, as with anything, I could do a better job owning white space if I just had white space. I could do a better job with photography or with coaching if I only did those, like each of those things but that's not my business. My business is photography and coaching and the podcast and the studio space. <laughs> and that's pretty reflective of my personality and how I kind of like to operate and also it can be really challenging at times because there like there have been things that I've been wanting to do at White Space for months that I just haven't gotten around to. So it does pull your attention and I think if I were still building a photography business and like trying to get new clients and really market myself heavily I would not recommend opening up a studio space because it's just it's going to pull your attention and your attention needs to be focused on one thing. Do that one thing really, really well, Um, you know, kill it, get the, the clients that you need supporting that one thing and then pull in another business. I think that's the biggest mistake that I see people make when it comes to studio spaces is they add it when they're not quite ready to add it because they think it's going to be passive. And it maybe will be passive at one time, at, at a time, but it's going to take time to get there. So I do sometimes think about that. I have friends who only run their studio spaces and you can tell they do a better job than I do. They have more time than I do. Um, they have more of the creative bandwidth than I do. And that's tough because I'm you know I, I want mine to be I want my space to be great. I want people to love it. I want them to talk about it. I want them to continue coming back. And sometimes I don't feel like I'm doing as good of a job at that. So I'm figuring that out. The next question is an interesting one. I think it's a really great question. Do you ever get tired of the same space? And my answer to that is yes. Yes, I do. In fact, I don't use white space probably as much as I thought I would. I love it for headshots. I will often have, you know, a day, a month where I just do a bunch of headshots at Whitespace. It's so much easier to do them there than it is to take my equipment to other places. But I totally get sick of it. And in general, I just really like shooting on location. It's fun. It challenges me in new ways. So that's something that I still do. But having Whitespace as a backup is a game changer because I just know that if the weather's not good, or if a client wants to shoot on location and that location ends up being a total bust, like we have a fallback, we have white space. So yes, I do get bored of it. I have to be very conscious of still making sure that I'm shooting other places. So my work continues to look different and I continue to push myself creatively. But the pros outweigh the cons for sure. Having a consistent space is really, really nice, especially as a brand photographer. Next question is this one is funny. It just says, "How do we manage?" Question mark exclamation point. So I'm not sure on the specifics of this, but I think that it's in reference to like how do we have this space and other businesses and you know manage the space and all of those things. I talked about this a little bit in the last episode. Um, I think the key for us are as many automations as possible. The booking system is through Acuity, so sometimes I'll have people call or Text me if they want to book or send me a DM, and I don't even entertain that. Like, I just send them the booking link, and I let them know, like, if you have problems, please let me know. But I'm not going to book something for you. Like, I am not going down that road. It just does. It, it wouldn't work. I wouldn't be able to do that. We have a bunch of automation set up. Once they book, that sends them all of the information, the passwords to get into the building, where the keys are, everything, um, what the expectations are this is one of the things that I want to do. I just want to hang up a few more signs in the space because I think, especially for people who use the space frequently, sometimes they forget, like, make sure you sweep up, make sure you leave this door open, whatever. So I want to do a better job of that. Um, And we, I, I just haven't done that yet. It's one of the things on the list, but that's something that I want to do more of. We have security cameras in the space. Sometimes people will ask about them as it pertains to boudoir photography. And I always tell them the cameras are not monitored, but we're also not turning them off or taking them down. And if that means that you don't want to do boudoir photography in the space, I totally get it. That is 100% fine. That is your prerogative. I completely understand. But for the safety of this building and my business, I'm not turning them off. Um, So we only reference the cameras if we need to, if we have damage on something or if someone got into a space that they weren't supposed to get into or were missing a key or whatever but there have been times when we have needed them. So I'm very thankful that they're there. But that also means that I don't have to be there. I don't have to be be babysitting. Same thing for the passcodes to get into the building. I don't have to meet people there every time there's a booking. That is absolutely huge. My assistant, Kenzie, does a lot of the social media marketing for um, Whitespace. I also have someone else who helps out with Reels for Whitespace. I certainly have a lot of help. There are certainly areas where I don't manage as much as I should. I don't do as much as I should. But I'm proud of what we've done and I'm really proud of our systems. I think where we really shine is like our booking process is really, really streamlined. People know what they're going to get. They know what to expect. There's certainly areas where we could do better, but I'm, I am very proud of our booking system. How do we rent the space out for non-photography? So we definitely market specifically to photographers. Um, However, we will sometimes have people who want to use the space for not photography. So once in a while, I'll mention that in our marketing, but it's pretty rare because I know that the majority of people are going to be photographers who rent the space. Sometimes people will want to book the space for like baby showers or wedding showers. We've had a micro wedding. We've had brides get ready in the space. And I always tell them the same thing. I I say, if you have more than about 20 people, it's probably going to feel pretty full. So just know that. They can also come by and like check out the space for themselves. I tell them there's no kitchen and there's no attached bathroom. This is something we would like to change in our next space. But as of right now, we've got bathrooms in the hallway, but they're not attached to the space. And then we also have a sink in the back storage room, but I don't give everyone access to that storage room. So Those are the caveats, and if they still want to use the space, then we talk about what pricing looks like. It's usually pretty similar to the $75 an hour. Sometimes we'll, you know, give them a little bit of a price break, but it depends on the day and the time. If it is like a weekend in November, we're probably not going to give them a price break for that because that would book up with photographers. So it's just kind of gauging uh, what time of year it is. If it's something where it's like in the summer or it's on a weekday, I'm much more likely to offer some sort of a discount because we may very well not book that spot. But a weekend in the winter is pretty tricky because those fill up pretty far in advance. And then the last question is, what is your mix of long-term versus short-term renters So We have it set up where we have members who they have to start with us on a six-month lease and then from there they can go month to month or people who can just rent it out hour by hour. The benefit of being a member is that you have time on the calendar every single month. You pay a lot less per hour. You can use that time also for anything. So I always tell people, you know, use it to book two hours instead of one so you have more time to clean up or tear down or edit photos or whatever that looks like. You can use it for content creation, whatever. So there's a lot of benefits to being a member. But then we have plenty of people who just want to be able to book here and there. So the majority of our clients, I would say, are probably people who are just renting by the hour. And then for members, I, like I said, I think we have six right now. And that kind of ebbs and flows. I think six or seven is about the most that we've ever had. My goal is to get to 10 because I know if we had 10, there would still be plenty of capacity. Um, and then once we get to 10, just kind of feel it out if we want to do more or not. Um, we have a booking calendar. And so that's how, you know, no one's schedules on top of each other. That's how we're able to control the capacity to make sure that it's not, you know, too booked or overbooked or anything like that. It's also how we're able to see if, it's, if it was really busy on a particular weekend, maybe we get in there and do like a quick clean on Sunday night or Monday morning. So the Google calendar that's just a shared calendar with the booking system um, is pretty key to be able to see just general capacity of what that looks like. Okay, I hope that those answered all of your questions. I really like I said, I really like this topic, so thanks for giving me um some some questions to walk through and kind of talk about. I love having white space. Like there was definitely a time where I wasn't sure if it made a ton of sense. There's probably still days where I'm not sure if it makes a ton of sense. And about a year ago my husband was like, "I don't know if this if we need to if we should keep doing this. Like I feel like when our lease is up, I want to be done." and we changed some things and you know got better when it comes to systems and automations and boundaries and also kind of allowed ourselves to get excited about things again and now i feel like we're both really i mean anything could happen but we're both really on the same page with we we want to see this through we want to see what happens and we want to try and grow it if we can. It's just been really fun. And it's also been a really fun thing to do as a couple. Like this is the first time we've been in business together. And that's been really exciting. So I hope you enjoyed this episode. I will chat with you in a couple weeks. Thank you so much for listening to Take It Personally. If you're a regular listener, you might already know that some of the best conversations actually happen after the show. Head over to Facebook and search Take It Personally Podcast to join our private Facebook group and join the conversation. We'll also put the link in the show notes. And if you haven't already, would you head over to iTunes and leave us a review? This is the best way to let other people know about the show and help us to keep creating content you love. You can also head to TakeItPersonallyPodcast.com for all the show notes from today's episode and past episodes. Thanks so much for listening. See you next week.